it would be a disaster to skimp on editing, for example. I mean, editing is the, the backbone of a good book. So my advice would be to follow the production process of the big houses to ensure their titles are as good or better as the, uh, traditionally published books. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Each week on The Convo Couch, I'll be chatting to a wide range of women writers, focusing on the heart, craft and business of writing, along with a new release feature author each month. You can listen to the episodes on any of the major podcasting platforms or directly from the Rights for Women website, where you'll also find the transcript of each chat and the extensive Rights for Women backlist. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Hi everyone, it's Pam here, and this week we have a Business of Writing episode on Rights for Women. But before we get to that, I thought I'd take the opportunity to let you know about some things happening at Rights for Women and in my own writing world. So to start with, I'll just do a little personal writing update. I'm working on the draft and revision of my next novel. The working title of it is Because You're Mine. It's a women's fiction story about a woman who loses access to her children and has to navigate the path to getting them back. So it's very heavy on relationships and issues to do with motherhood, control and, you know, general family relationships. And a few things that I thought I'd tell you about that I've found helpful recently in terms of tools, I guess, and resources. So the first is Scrivener. And I know many listeners out there, many writers use Scrivener. And if you're someone who's been thinking about taking the dive into using Scrivener or checking it out, I can highly recommend it. I have not really plumbed all the depths of Scrivener. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. And I tend to learn new things with each book that I write. But at the moment, I'm really finding the colour coding aspect of Scrivener helpful because I'm doing uh, sort of a dual timeline, flashback type storyline, and you can colour code the various scenes. And also the cork board and being able to do scene summaries to tweak those summaries, to move them around uh, and to adjust your storyline as you're working through that draft and early revisions. So if you are someone who's been thinking about Scrivener, there are plenty of courses around on it. I know that the Australian Writers' Centre has an, a sort of on-demand course that I think uh, is still available that Natasha Lester set up with them a few years back and I've heard great things about that. And there's lots of online support too. So anytime that I have trouble with Scrivener or don't know how to do something, I just Google whatever it is in Scrivener, you know, colour coding in Scrivener and something comes up and it's really easily fixed and discovered. So that's something I've been finding really useful. Another software uh, application, I guess, that I've been getting into a little bit lately is something called Plotter, P-L-O-T-T-R. Uh, it's a software that allows you to have timelines for your plot and your characters on screen. It actually has a whole lot of different structure templates that you can access. You can create your own templates. You can have, you know, multiple templates running on screen at a time if you're not sure how you want to structure your novel. You can do character notes. It's got a whole lot of versatility and it's actually being updated constantly. I'm always getting news from them about updates to that program and it um, is also compatible with Scrivener so if you're a plotter you can actually plot out your whole timeline and then upload it to Scrivener or your scene cards and chapters are ready to go or you can you know tweak it as you go along and then go back to Scrivener and change things that you might have changed on plotter you can also export it into words so that's just something that I've found really, really helpful in visually seeing how my timeline works and particularly when I've got a lot of these flashback scenes in this new novel is working out where to put them and that's been really helpful. And, again, colour coding. I'm not a big colour coder in real life but I do find it really helpful with just separating out scenes and ideas. Something else that I've skimmed back into, I guess, is Pinterest and this came up after I was talking to Lisa Hall-Wilson on Writing in Deep Point of View a couple of weeks ago and Lisa mentioned that she's on Pinterest. So 
I went back to Pinterest. I haven't looked at it for a while. I do have a number of boards up there. And I usually have boards for each of my novels. And I find them really helpful in collecting and curating images that I can then skip back into for visualisation purposes and inspiration, I guess, as I'm writing. And I've got a number of other boards as well. But I did discover there's a whole world of writing and authors on Pinterest when I had a closer look. So that's something that I'm going to follow up. And if anybody out there knows of any authors who, or if you are an author who particularly uses Pinterest and finds that it really helps with your writing for inspiration, but also in connecting with readers, I'm really interested in finding out more about that. So it's something that is on my to-do list with Pinterest. I've been having some fabulous chats with authors and, as always, finding that inspirational, which I'll talk about in a little while. On the speaking and teaching front, I do have a couple of tickets to give away for the business of publishing. Now, this is a forum, I guess, that is being put on by the South Coast Writers Centre this Saturday. So this episode is going out Friday, the 21st of May. The business of publishing is on Saturday, the 22nd. It's at Coldale Community Centre in the Illawarra, so not very far from where I live. But if you're in Sydney or on the South Coast or anywhere around that area, it's going to be a great afternoon. There's three different sessions featuring publishers and authors and people connected to the publishing business. I'm on a panel from the author's perspective talking about different ways of approaching publishing and the publishing world and your author career. So it's on Saturday afternoon at Coldale Community Centre. You can look up information on that through South Coast Writers Centre, so it's southcoastwriters.org, I think it is. So check that out if that's something that sounds like you'd be interested in it. It's going to be a really interesting afternoon, actually. I'm looking forward to finding out a lot myself. Oh, and in terms of the tickets, I'm pretty sure they're still available. So pretty much the first person to email me at pamelacook.com, pamela at pamelacook.com.au if you want to couple of tickets to come along and join me and watch the sessions on Saturday afternoon at Coldale. Just send me an email as soon as you hear this and there's a good chance they're going to be yours if they're still up for grabs. In terms of teaching, I do have an online course coming up at Writing New South Wales. It's Turn Up the Tension. And this is a course I've taught a number of times now, both at Writing New South Wales and through RWA. And I've always had great feedback, people finding it really, really helpful. So it's about injecting tension into your writing so that readers want to turn the page and get to the end of the story and that's what it's all about so it's from the 2nd to the 8th of June it's online so you can do it from anywhere and you can find out more about that at writingnewsouthwales.org you can also find out through my own website pamelacook.com.au I'm also teaching some classes at the moment at the Australian Writers Centre so I'm really enjoying connecting with students through those two centres The other thing that I've got coming up in June uh, and I want to make sure everyone knows about is Story Fest. Now, this is a storytelling festival on the south coast of New South Wales at beautiful Ulladulla and it's my heart home down there at Milton near Ulladulla and I'm really excited to be involved in this. I was on the committee a couple of years ago for the inaugural Story Fest festival and this time I'm going to be hosting a couple of panels. So I'm going to be talking to Emily Maguire and Jessica Detman about families inside and out. And I'm also going to be talking about a subject close to my heart, writers on writing. Uh, And that's going to feature Jock Sarong, Catherine Jinx and Gabrielle Carey. There's just a whole lot of fantastic sessions and panels and workshops happening down at StoryFest. And if you're free on the weekend of the 18th or 20th of June and there's any way you can get there, I highly recommend that you do that. The opening night address is going to be from Marcus Zuzak and I just can't speak highly enough of the program. It's fantastic. And, of course, Meredith Jaffe and Michelle Barraclough are doing an amazing job of getting that program together and their team down there. So um, check that out, Storyfest, and if there's any way you can get there, definitely come because you'll love it whether you're a reader or a writer. After that, I'm going to be actually taking a little break from um, podcasting in July. I'm going to have a little hiatus in the middle of the year, but I think I might have a little guest uh, presenter taking over the podcast. So listen out for that during the month of July and I'll let you know more about that in the coming weeks. But also I wanted to shout out 
to all those people who are supporting the podcast on Patreon. It's a labour of love, this podcast. I absolutely love doing it, but it's just fantastic to be able to get a little bit of support for paying for the hosting, you know, the editing and all the time that goes into creating the podcast. So I just want to give a shout out to the current Patreon supporters in no particular order. Carrie Malachino, Effie Katrakazos, hope I've said that right, Effie, Mary Lou Stevens, Cassie Hamer, Sophie Masson, Vicky Holstein, Cheryl Rosario, Chrissy Mios, and shout out to Chrissy, major shout out for the beautiful little vintage caravan earrings she sent me, which I will show everybody very soon, and Rachel Johns. So thanks to all those people for supporting the podcast and supporting what I'm doing here. Just in case you didn't know, Patreon is a program where you basically just throw in a little bit of money each month and there's various benefits depending on the level or of patronage I guess that you provide the big one is the bonus episode each month with an author answering four curly questions and this month it's going to be with Kelly Rimmer I've already done that episode it's a fabulous chat with Kelly about the ins and outs of her writing life and some things that you might not generally hear just in a general writing podcast so that's a bonus that goes out to all the highest level Patreon members. All the Patreon supporters get a a monthly wisdom from the Convo Couch. It's got inspiration and writing tips from the month's guests. You have the ability to make suggestions for the podcast in terms of guests and topics. I haven't got this in the Patreon literature at the moment, but I'm going to also give priority for appearances on the podcast when you have a book out and either on the podcast itself in terms of an interview or a promo spot or the blog, any way that I can support writers out there, I'm happy to do that. So that's going to be a new Patreon member benefit as well. And also at the end of the year, I'm going to compile transcripts of the Heart of Writing, Craft of Writing and Business of Writing episodes. And depending on what level you're supporting at, you'll get one, two, or three of those eBooks with lots of valuable information in there and inspiration from all the authors who've appeared on the podcast this year. So yeah, massive shout out to Patreon supporters. If you'd like to check it out and support the podcast through Patreon, you can do it for as little as uh, $3 a month. It's less than a cost of a cup of coffee. You get loads of benefits and my eternal gratitude always. So (laughs) definitely have a think about that. I would really appreciate it. The other thing I'd like to shout out about and give a great big vote of thanks is to those people who have given the podcast ratings and reviews. It's the same sort of system as on Amazon, definitely. The more visibility it gets, the same thing with the podcast. If the more rating and reviews it gets, the more people that it comes into their field, you know, a vision type thing. So if you are enjoying the podcast in general or particular episodes, I'd really love it if you take the time to hop on and do some ratings and reviews. I would really appreciate that. Also, just some other things you may not know that transcripts are available of most episodes of the podcast. So if there's things that you hear in the episode that you'd like to go back and think, oh, I missed that or I didn't have a pen and paper at the time, not all, but most of the episode transcripts are now available on the website. So if you go to rightsforwomen.com.au and look at the look at the individual podcast episodes, scroll to the bottom of the show notes there and the transcript, there'll be a link that you can follow to the transcript. And Many of the episodes, most of them are also on the Rights for Women YouTube channel. Now, those episodes are generally not edited. There's a couple I do need to edit and get up there, but in general, I just put them up there. So they're sort of warts and all. But if you're someone that likes to see people, maybe have it running while you're doing the washing up or something and and see the guest's face and my face, you can definitely find it on the Rights for Women YouTube channel. So just go to YouTube, Google Rights for Women, remember to put the four in and you will find that there. Another thing that you may not know about is the weekly giveaway that I do on Facebook and Instagram because I do get a lot of books sent to me from publishers. I've got a huge pile there. I can't read them all. So I'm giving them away each week. They're announced on a Wednesday. It runs through to the following Wednesday and it basically is just a like, share and make sure you're on the mailing list type setup. So look out for those posts on uh, both the Rights for Women Instagram and Facebook page and my own page, Pamela Cook, Pamela Cook Rights on Instagram. The other thing is that there is now also a a closed Facebook community on Rights for Women. So if you are a writer who listens to the podcast and you would like to join that community, send in a request. I've kept it closed and I do check to see who is coming on. I'm trying to keep that a very closed, safe group for women writers to be able to share ideas, thoughts, 
inspirations, questions, concerns, anything at all about writing, but I, I'm trying to keep it a very closed, safe space. So that's why there is a little bit of policing about who comes in and out. There's a couple of questions there you've got to answer at the beginning. They're very basic, like, do you listen to the podcast? And your answer, of course, will be yes. Uh, and, you know, I will definitely then just tick and say, yes, you're in. And there's a great group. I think we're up to about 80 something people on there now. And that's also a place where I let you know about things coming up on the podcast that you might've missed and asking for different ideas and also offering you the ability to ask upcoming guest questions. So do look out for that on Facebook if you're on there for women writers and definitely it is a closed safe group. So that's about it for the update for me. That's probably plenty. It's all you need to hear from me. I am recording right now in Virginia, my vintage caravan, and I'm very soon going to be making my new curtains for Virginia. I can't sew, so that's going to be really interesting. I might take a few pics and uh, let you have a laugh at that when that's all happening. So on with the podcast, it's with Jennifer Schooler from Pilyara Press, a women's writing cooperative who are publishing their own books there's so much great stuff in here in this chat with Jenny uh, about the publishing industry in general. Even if, you know, this sort of thing isn't something you're interested, she gives great tips on here about getting a book bub deal and just this whole idea of women working together collegiately in order to get their writing out into the world. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I love chatting to Jenny and I'm going to hop on over to the convo catch now and we can get on with the chat. This episode is a business of publishing episode, and my guest today on the Convo Couch is Jennifer Schooler. Jennifer is a well-loved Australian author and founder of Pilyara Press, a trailblazing group of Australian writers who have come together to form the publishing cooperative Pilyara Press. Since establishing Pilyara in 2018, Jennifer has assembled a multi-skilled team to galvanise a new vision of how publishing can be done. It's a wonderful example of authors taking control of their publishing careers, a fascinating model that I'm really interested to know more about and one I think that might give us all some food for thought. I'm going to let Jennifer tell us the full story and here she is on the Convo Couch. So Jenny, welcome to the Convo Couch at Rights for Women. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really interested to talk to you about Pilyara, where the whole idea came from and how it's all going. But before we dive into that, could you give us a little bit of background on your own writing, I guess your path to publication and your own writing career? Yes, I've been writing for about 15 years. I've had six novels published by Penguin Random House and I've published three more via Pilyara Press. I'm also thrilled to say that my Tasmanian Tales trilogy has just been picked up by Ulverscroft UK and will be released internationally on audio this year. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Yes, I know. It's very exciting. And without Pilyara Press, that would not, wouldn't have happened because two of the titles are published purely through Pilyara Press. Oh, that's brilliant. So, Ginny, you, as you say, you have written um, it for a traditional publisher for yes. a lot of your writing career. Yes. How did you then come to the point where you decided to set up an independent press? Well, in 2018, I wrote a novel called The Lost Valley and my publishers were not convinced about the title's prospects um, of, for commercial success and they turned it down. Now, The Lost Valley was the second book in a trilogy I'd planned set in Tasmania and I'm a passionate amateur naturalist and the main theme of the trilogy, which is Tasmania's unique animals and their struggles against extinction, this was very close to my heart. And I was determined to get the trilogy published. Penguin had published the first book, but I had two more in me. So the writing world in Australia is very close-knit, as you and I know well and I knew of other authors with great manuscripts um, sitting in their bottom drawer who couldn't find a home for their work and I also knew that the latest digital publishing technology offers a way to produce ebooks and traditional print books simply and easily and and distribute them worldwide so that's when I decided to establish Pugliara Press. Yeah that's really interesting so they, they had already published the first in the trilogy that you had planned Yes. And you've since published the, the next two, is that correct? That's, that's correct. And do you have the rights for that first one in the trilogy? 
I don't. Australia and the Australia and New Zealand rights are still held by Penguin Random House. However, I have published it worldwide because I own the worldwide rights. And as the second two, I have all the rights. I have the world rights for those as well. So, okay. This whole issue of rights, Jenny, is a really interesting one, isn't it? I know myself going into the whole publishing business back in 2011, I didn't really have much of an idea, I guess, about rights and what the implications for signing them over was going to be down the track. And I listened to Joanna Penn on her podcast quite a bit, and she's all for, you know, being very careful with your own intellectual property. So is this something that you've also discovered along the way, that this whole issue of rights can be quite sort of fraught and and complicated? Uh, I certainly have. Like you, at the beginning, I was pretty ignorant. I do have a literary agent who has been pretty good at hanging on to the rights that I that I need. She would only sell the Australian and New Zealand rights to any of my work to Penguin Random House. And if they wanted more rights than that, they had to they had to pay for them. So I've been fairly lucky, I think, because the agents protected me. But mm. I know a lot of people who signed over everything and um, their their world rights, their audio, their large print rights pretty much into perpetuity and then Mm. the publisher isn't reprinting their work and in some cases won't return their rights. So, yeah, it's something that authors need to be very careful of and maybe a little bit more, (laughs) do a bit more research than I did and maybe you did at the beginning. Mm. I thoroughly agree. You were potentially the same as me and I know I've spoken to a lot of authors. When you get that first publishing contract, you're so excited and so grateful to a publisher for publishing your work that, you know, well, I, I was one of those naive people that basically just signed on the dotted line without much thought. And I think a lot of people are in that situation at the beginning. Oh, I, I was so excited when I got an email with an offer from, from a publishing house. I carried it around with me for weeks that I printed the email out and every now and then I'd stop and read it again just to make sure that I wasn't dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah. And and it is fantastic. It is so exciting. But at the same time, you know, as you and I and many others ha- authors have learned, you do need to consider the long term, I guess, and you need to think about what you are signing over and how much of that you want to sign over. There are agents and there's organisations like the Australian Society of Authors too for people who don't have agents who can advise you, aren't there? Oh, the Australian Society of Authors is wonderful. And if, if you join that, uh, you can get very much the same sort of service um, as far as vetting a contract as um, you would get from a literary agent. So, yeah, but just do that and don't be like us. <laughs> yes, listen, learnt. So you said in 2018 you decided to establish Pilyara. What were some of the things that made you take that decision, apart from the fact you obviously had the motivation you wanted to get those two books published and, and others down the line, but what other considerations did you make in actually setting up Puyara? Well, I knew too many other authors who had works that might be a little bit out of the box, a little bit of left field, and even though their very commercial work was getting published, their their other work wasn't. and. I thought it would be lovely to set up an organisation where we could offer a diverse and distinctive range of books created on our own terms and unlike the big publishers, profit wouldn't be the bottom line. Um, it would right. be creative control. We'd, we'd have our creative control and uh, we could publish exciting new titles that, that the big publishers would have their doubts about. People complain about the gatekeepers mm. uh, and publishers are the gatekeepers And that's good in a way because you don't want anybody being able to publish something which isn't ready. But now that there was the big six and now there's the big five and with the merging of Penguin Random House, it became a lot harder, I think, to have anything published that that the bean counters weren't sure about. Mm. Yeah, and I, I guess that's the bottom line, isn't it? Traditional publishing is a big business and, of course, the money, I guess, is the bottom line. So as you say, having a group of people who are really concerned about the creative control and 
putting out really good quality writing into the world as as you are at Pilyara is a fabulous idea. So how did you then go about bringing others into the fold? And can you tell us who your colleagues are at Pilyara? Yes, I can do that. The Pilyara Press collaboration started, as I said, in 2018, and it began as a meeting of three friends around a kitchen table. And that kitchen table belonged to fellow Penguin Random House um, author Catherine Ledson, who you'd know. Yes. Um, And also at that meeting was Simon and Schuster author Kate Bell. And we discussed how we could achieve greater creative control of our publishing journeys, and we started to throw ideas around. And, of course, the main drawback to stepping away from the major publishers is the loss of their professional assistance. Mm. Uh, because a well-produced book requires st- structural and line editing, uh, proofreading, formatting, an amazing cover. It needs distribution and project managing and a publicist. And all these things are provided for you when you, you go down the traditional publishing route. But the cost of paying for all this via freelancers would have been prohibitive for us. Mm. So we decided to swap skill sets. I could format. Catherine was an editor, Kate was a project manager, and we thought that was a good start. So then each of us sounded out writer friends uh, who might be interested in joining our collective and adding to our skill set. So there are now nine of us. There's me and Catherine and Kate, and there's also Desney King, who I know you know. Who's yes, Desney's been on the podcast and her book Transit of Angels is fantastic, just such a beautiful book. That's right, and that's because of Pilyara Press because she mm-hmm. couldn't get that published. But she's also a veteran editor and proofreader. And Monique Mulligan, who's an editor and website designer, is one of our Monique's team. been on the podcast too. Oh, yep. oh you're doing well by us. <laughs> There's Shelley Kenigsberg, who's an editor, Jen J. McLeod, who can format, Olwyn Conroe, who's a proofreader and our media manager, and Greg Schumark, who's our publicist and also happens to be Desney King's brother. <laughs> so you have a really wide range of skills there, Jenny, and as you say, I guess you're learning from each other, are you, with different aspects of, of the, you know, publishing process? Well, yes, we are, and we're, we're just learning full stop. Um, mm. The only aspect of our book production that we don't do in-house is cover design, So each author is responsible for commissioning their own cover and if a majority of the Pilyara Press members approve the design, we move ahead with it. But I have since learned to do my own covers just because I became interested in it and the cover of Ulverscroft UK, as I say, has has, um, bought the rights to the trilogy and the first book in the trilogy, obviously I couldn't use the Penguin Random House cover, I designed myself and they loved it and they're using it. So, yeah, so we're all learning, uh, you know, on a very steep learning curve and it's extremely satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's very exciting. So what was the first title that you put out uh, under a Pilyara Press banner and were there any challenges that you came across with that very first one and and lessons that you learnt from that? Well, the first one was my book, The Lost Valley, that was um, produced in 2018. And the challenges were learning how the print-on-demand world worked, learning how to upload files through Ingram Spark, which can deliver a bulk order of books anywhere in the world or just a single book. Marvellous tool for, for writers, but uh, you, you've got to learn how to do it and how to make sure all the files will load properly. But apart from that, there were no particular challenges because the book had already gone through a rigorous editorial process because that's how we'd set it up. Mm, mm. Has everyone in the collective had a book published by Pilyara or planning on publishing a book through Pilyara? Yes, everybody is either published or planning on publishing. And do you publish outside of your collective as well? In other words, are you accepting submissions? No, not at the moment. However, we may well do so as we expand our network. In order to become a publisher in the traditional sense, we'd need to have a few more members so that we could swap our skills a little bit more fairly because sometimes 
for instance, Alwyn does the media, but the more books we have, the more she has to do. Mm. And also at the moment we have a a system where we control our own finances and profits go 100% to each author. We don't have publishing Mm. contracts. So, But we are thinking about it. We've discussed it quite a lot, especially if we came across a fabulous manuscript Mm. that we, we thought could be both profitable and a great gift to the Australian readership, for instance, but that person did not have the sort of skills that we needed in order to bring them in under that banner. We thought it'd be a pity not to go ahead and publish that work. I love that approach. That's lovely. And so what do you think have been some of the things that you've learnt? I mean, you've obviously learnt practical skills, but in the wider sense about writing and publishing, Jenny, would you say that there's been things that you've learnt about all of that? Well, I suppose I've I've learned to see it as more of a, as a business than I did when when Penguin Random House swooped in and did everything for me. Uh, I just wrote. Uh, so when you say the practical things, the main things that I've learned, I already had a good handle on the craft, I believe. And of course, I'm all, I'm always reading writing books and reading a lot of other people's fiction and. And adding to my knowledge of, of that craft side of writing. But the main things that I've learned specifically have been the practical aspects of book publishing and also how to work in a team because I'd never done that before. I've always been a bit of a hermit, a bit of a loner. <laughs> and so working in a team is something I hadn't done, but it hasn't been difficult. And I think that's just because we as a group of writers, we gel so well and we're so generous and friendly with each other. Mm. Yeah, so it's a great sort of working environment. And I'm guessing a lot of it is done just online. Is that right? Well, it's all done online. Mm. Because you would all live in different parts of Australia. Well, that's right. To start with, I, I live outside of Melbourne in a little rural property in the mountains, but I'm close enough to Melbourne to have had that initial meeting with Catherine at Catherine yeah. Wilson's kitchen table. And Kate Bell lives in Melbourne as well. But now, since then, Catherine's moved to the north coast of New South Wales and Kate's in the process of moving to Wonthaggy, which isn't actually that far from me. But, mm. but yes, I haven't met in person a couple of the, the members of the team ever. Okay. That's really interesting, isn't it? The wonders of the internet. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's I'm great. so glad I'm alive in this this age of um, digital technology. Yeah. Yeah. So apart from putting the book together, of course, which is all those skills you talked about in terms of the editing, the formatting, putting the cover design and then getting it all together and getting it out there through Ingram Spark and the digital versions, the next step, of course, is the marketing and, and getting the books in front of readers' eyes, if you like, because I've found that with the indie titles that I've published, it's very hard to get into bookstores and I've found that the visibility aspect it can be quite difficult in terms of getting your books in front of readers. Now, you said you do have, you know, Olwen as the marketing manager, but what other things have you found as a group that have been, you know, helpful in really getting the word out about the books? Well, we're very fortunate to have Greg Schumark, who runs a pretty big publicity company and has his finger on the pulse. We've got a great list of people to contact in the in the media and radio stations and magazines, newspapers, and he puts the media releases out for us. And he also follows up with phone calls and has been pretty good at getting us onto radio and in newspaper articles. However, I found even when I was traditionally published, after the initial push, visibility was difficult. So it's up to each individual author to contact local, you know, media outlets and and do their social media campaigns. And I can only speak for myself when it comes to this. I use, you know, the promotional newsletters like BookBub mm. and to great advantage because when you're on BookBub, BookBub is a is an email marketing organisation where you apply and if your book is accepted, they will distribute it in one of their emails. And 
if you get one of those deals, it's called a feature deal, you're beside the major publishers because all the major publishers use BookBub now. So your book will be sitting there next to Michael Rowbottom or, you know, one of the top writers in the Mm. world. So that's very helpful. It's also helpful, which is something that I was so proud of, (laughs) that that we've been accepted, Piliara Press has been accepted as a a proper publisher by the Australia's Publishers Association, of which we're now members, and the Small Press Network. Oh, that's brilliant. I know. I couldn't believe it. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, I thought they'd say, no, you go away. You're just, mm. just having a bit of fun there. You're not proper publishers. However, we have been accepted. And that's how my trilogy ended up on audio because we, since there was no actual Frankfurt Book Fair this year, mm. or, or I think it was maybe the end of last year, it was, a di- it was digital. And the Australia's Publishers Association invited all their members to submit their books into a digital rights catalogue to be presented at the Frankfurt Book Fair. And uh, there we were. There was Penguin Random House, Pilyara Press and then Pantera Press. Oh, fantastic. In the catalogue. We were there next to those publishers. And that's how I ended up selling my audio rights worldwide because I was contacted by a UK publisher because they'd looked at the digital rights catalogue from the Frankfurt Book Fair. So, you know, there's no one way to getting your books out there. It's a hodgepodge of ideas and you do have to, you do have to be creative at times. Yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations on being accepted into the official publishing world in Australia. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> And so I take it from what you were saying, Jenny, that you have had a BookBub deal. I've had several. I've had, okay. I have about four a year, I guess. You have you got any tips for people out there that might, and me that might be looking at getting a BookBub deal? You can't just apply once. Do you know, I apply every four weeks. Ah, okay. Every four weeks. And the first time I apply, I apply for a 99 cent deal. And if I don't get that, I apply for a free deal. And if I don't get that, I move on to the next book. I probably get four four a year, sometimes five, but wow. that's out of applying every single week almost, yeah. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got, I've got a book bub schedule calendar so I know when I can apply again because you can only apply once with the same title, I think, every four weeks. Okay. And they'll only do a feature deal for an author once every six months. So if you get a deal, you have to wait six months before we'll feature you again. But they're hugely profitable. Okay, Oscar, that was my next question. Do you find that it's worth the outlay? Because if you found it's quite expensive to actually get the deal? Yes, it's around about Mm. $1,000 for a deal. But I would make 10 times that. That's amazing. I know. I'm going off to to put in another BookBub deal today when we finish talking. <laughs> well, do don't yeah. don't get to give up after one. The people who get BookBub deals just hassle them every okay. week or every month, and and you don't worry when you're rejected because most people are rejected most of the time. Okay. But, it wasn't really a matter of me thinking, oh, no, I'll never do that again. I've given up. I've been rejected. It was just, just something that's on my list and I've never gotten back to it. But I'm going to bump it to the top now. <laughs> yes, do. Vindicate my decision to publish The Lost Valley by the Puyara Press process when I was turned down by my publisher. I got a bookbub deal with The Lost Valley. Right. And I now have over 400 reviews on Amazon with, you know, average of four and a half stars. That's impressive. Mm. Someone goes and look at your book and sees 400 reviews. It kind of sells itself. It does, doesn't it? And have you found that even when you do the free deals that it it sort of is a good flow on? I mean, giving the book away for free. Yes, I gave it away for free and I think I had, I've had two book bub deals with The Lost Valley. One was paid, one was free, but the free one... I got, I think, 50,000 downloads. Wow. They were free downloads. Yeah. But um, the thing is, especially since it's a a series, that the read-through effect Mm. was was phenomenal. Wow. That's amazing. 
So how many books have you got out there now, Jenny, that you have the rights to? Well, I have world rights to all my books. Right. And I have Australian and New Zealand rights to three of, of my nine books. But I have a, a book I'm just finishing at the moment and um, so I'm going to send that to my agent and if she can find a somebody wants it, I can be bought. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and if she can't find it at home, well, obviously I, I've got the Gugliara Press mm. process to to you know guarantee its publication so you haven't closed the door on traditional publishing then no not at all I think we're all happy to be hybrids Mm. yeah so do you think that this is a model Jenny that other people could potentially replicate you know if they've got the bunch of writers who as you say have different skill sets and and are looking at getting their books out into the world maybe finding it difficult in traditional publishing do you think it's something that's very worthwhile doing and what advice would you give to anybody who is considering that? I don't see any reason why this model wouldn't work for any group of writers, provided they had sufficient publishing experience and and enough skills between them to share around. It would be a disaster to skimp on editing, for example. I mean, editing is the, the backbone of a good book. So my advice would be to, to follow the production process of the big houses to ensure their titles are as good or better um, as th- uh, than pr- traditionally published books. Mm. Replicate the process, the tried and true process, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting what you say about as good or better. And I know when, you know, I published my first independent title, Cross My Heart, I, I was actually quite devastated by not getting a traditional deal for that, I have to say. But when I then made the decision to go ahead and publish that myself, because I knew that I was not just the author, and I did do all the things that you're talking about, get the professional edit, the professional cover, all that sort of thing. But I knew that basically I was the publisher and I was the bottom line. So I think I worked much, much harder on the revision process and all those things than I had probably with my previous books, because I knew that I had the backup there, you know, with the traditional publisher. Well, that's to be commended, and that's the way to do it. Mm. Uh, if you're going to skimp on any of the aspects of book production, especially proofreading or editing, you may as well not bother. Mm. Very sound advice. So you've mentioned a couple of things that are potentially on the cards for Pilyara. What do you see as the future, you know, going forward with Pilyara? What are your immediate plans and, and what are your bigger goals for the group? Uh, Well, we're going to continue to publish great Australian stories. We have a stable of authors, a team of authors who are planning, you know, probably a book at least every couple of years each. With me, it'll be book a year for sure. And I suppose, as I said, we're thinking about in the future becoming a publisher that can be open to submissions. The problem with being open to submissions is we need somebody to read their submissions. And as you probably know, the moment you open anything to submissions, people are bombarded with manuscripts, uh, most of which aren't um, ready for publication. So I, I think if we, when we do make that step, it'll probably be because one of the team knows of an author and a manuscript that is crying out for publication. Mm. I, I think that sort of happened with me with Disney. I met her 15 years ago, I guess, um, at an Australian Society of Authors uh, business of writing course that she taught editing. And uh, we got to talking. We're both passionate environmentalists. We immediately clicked. This was before she had a series of strokes. Mm. And I knew of her book, Transit of Angels, back then and I've been really interested in it and following its progress and and feeling frustrated that she couldn't get anyone to take it on but of course that was no problem because she's such a wonderful editor and proofreader that Mm. we just brought her into the fold but if we find a fabulous book that doesn't have an author who can really contribute to the skill set of the team that's when we might put our toe into the publishing the traditional publishing role. Well, that, that sounds great. And, of course, the, the publishing and writing world in Australia is quite small. So I myself 
New Disney from back in 2008 when I did a series of workshops with Joyce Cornblatt and Disney was part of that. So it's been lovely to sort of reconnect with her on Facebook and then through the podcast. You know, it is quite a small world, isn't it? Oh, it's it's tiny. Everybody knows everybody. Exactly. Well, Jenny, before I let you go, I'd love to hear a little bit about your latest book and perhaps the, the trilogy that's coming out on Ulviscroft, if you can tell us a little bit about what, what that's about. Right. Well, it's a, a historical trilogy in the sense that the first two books are historical and then the third one is contemporary. It's set in Tasmania and it begins in the early, I suppose the late 1900s. And it's the story of a young man who is falsely um, arrested and jailed. His journey to freedom and he ends up having to flee Australia and then he comes back to try to reclaim his life. It's his story and the story of the woman that he couldn't forget all those years ago. I suppose it has a bit of a count of Monte Cristo feel to it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but also the background theme in this trilogy is extinction and Tasmania, of course, has a terrible record of extinction when you think that the largest marsupial predator ever known, the Tasmanian tiger, died there within the living memory of some people. Mm. So it's actually the story of Tasmanian tigers. The second book is the story of a family member who has twins and it's the story of their experiences in the war, the Second World War, their, their rivalry over two very different women, but also it's, it's about Tasmanian tigers and that the contemporary book, The Memory Tree, is, is about Tasmanian devils and our attempts to prevent them from following their cousin, the tiger, into extinction. Mm-hmm. It's a rip-roaring family saga, but the books also tackle the theme of the natural world extinctions and what we should try to do about them. Mm. Well, it sounds like there's lots of different um, layers to those stories, Jenny. Yes, well, look, I think one of the reasons my publisher didn't want to publish um, The Lost Valley was because there was a, a scene set in the Hobart Zoo on the night that the last Tasmanian tiger died, mm-hmm. and they thought it was too sad. Oh. Now, now, I have researched that chapter was one of the whole reasons that I wrote the book, so I could put that chapter in and have mm. people realise because that last di- tiger died of neglect. Yeah. Um, and... I thought it was a, a story that had to be told mm. because people don't realise that it died of neglect. It was locked out of its den in a freezing Hobart winter and died of exposure. Now, people just think that it died, but there's a story behind how it died and that is built into the Lost Valley. Now, to say that that chapter was a bit sad and maybe cut it out mm. when it was the raison d'etre for the whole yeah. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. <laughs> so all those three stories as part of the trilogy are going to be published on audio by Ulvis Croft? Yes, which is the largest publisher of unabridged audio books in the world. My funny little story about Devils and Tigers is going to be in libraries worldwide, on CD, MP3, everything. And other than going through a library, are they accessible? I, I don't know. I don't mm. know if Ulviscroft only supri- supplies to libraries. Mm. Definitely get them through libraries. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And also Jen J. McLeod, who is one of the Piliara Press team, yes. her books have also been picked up by Ulviscroft. And can I say, I have a book with Ulviscroft, <laughs> The Crossroads. Well, <laughs> it's too part of their Australian sort of story line yeah. and this that was the one that set of mine that set in the outback so I think that probably was the appeal there yeah so yes yep. it's the, the aurora imprint which mm. is their new Australian and New Zealand imprint and they are looking for very um fundamentally Australian stories so mm. I suppose mine also isn't set in a city so when will yours be out Jenny with them well first of June for Fortune Sun first of July for the Lost Valley and I believe it might be August for I'm not absolutely sure about the memory tree and as for what I'm writing at the moment I'm writing a sequel to my very first book with Penguin which was called Brumby's Run and people have been asking for years for a sequel to that book 
And so now I'm giving it to them. At the moment, the working title is Brumby's Runaway. <laughs> and uh, I've only got a few thousand words to write before I have the first draft finished. So the whole thing should be ready to go in about a month. Well, it's really great to hear, you know, so much happening with you and with Pelyara and the years of experience you've had in both traditional and now in more the independent world of publishing coming together. I love that. It's such a, a good news story. Mm. Uh, and, and I can genuinely say, because you, you talked to me earlier and suggested a few of the questions you might be asking, and one of them was what were the main challenges? And seriously, I, I found it difficult to come up with any. Mm. We do set publishing timelines and there's been a few challenges with meeting them. But the thing is, if an editor is unwell and needs an extension, we can easily accommodate that because we're not hostage to a lot of external deadlines. Yeah. Uh, and so we just learned to be flexible. And we've never, ever had a book whose production wasn't finished within a month or two of when, when we expected it to be. So. Right, yeah. Oh, well, that's great. You've been a wealth of information, Jenny. Is there any? Is there one parting bit of advice you might give to, to authors out there listening? I, I think it's learn your craft. Mm. Yeah, learn your craft and never present anything to an agent or a publisher that isn't in its about fifth draft. <laughs> I would definitely agree. Never submit too early. Mm. Well, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Good luck with all of the exciting things you've got happening, Jenny. It's been so lovely to chat to you and to, to learn from your expertise. And as I said, I'm going off to research bookbub deals. I do. They're, <laughs> they're gold. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much and, and good luck with the next few months getting your work out there. Thank you uh, so much for having me, Pam. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon, and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4WPodcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening, have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. Music